0: Are you making some of these common mistakes that are costing you thousands of dollars on your tax returns? Well, in today's show, we're going to talk to you about what those common mistakes are that physicians make and how to protect yourself.
1: Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you Deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Super excited to have you guys here. You know, every time I go to do one of these shows, I I just think that I'm so appreciative that you guys take the time out of your days to listen to the show, to really help better yourselves and your financial knowledge. So hopefully, you guys are getting a ton of value out of this. I know that the show's grown like crazy. And you know, thank you again for being here. I really appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking with Craig Cody, who's a CPA. Uh, He's been working as a certified tax coach and CPA for 17, 18 years now, and he just has a wealth of knowledge around some of the mistakes that physicians make that are really costing them a ton of money. And we actually extract some really fun, proactive tax planning strategies. Yes, that's right. I called it really fun. Sorry, the nerd in me. But we're talking about some really good proactive strategies that you guys can do to really not only plan and prepare uh, your taxes, but to save money and to do it correctly. So without further ado, going to jump in the show. Let's take it away. Craig, thank you so much for being on the show. I am excited to have you on. I know that uh, as we are approaching tax time, everyone's kind of uh, hustling around going, oh my gosh, my taxes are due and some people have procrastinated and now they're looking for different tips or different things that they can do to actually complete their taxes and obviously minimize their tax liability. So thank you again for being on the show. I'm excited to have you here.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I'm psyched to be here. So let's jump
0: right in and let's talk about some of the tax mistakes that physicians make that are really costing them a good amount of money.
2: Okay, great. I would tell you the biggest thing that physicians make, as well as most business owners, is failing to plan. Everybody will start running around like a chicken without a head around now trying to get all their tax records together, trying to get their books up to date and everything like that, when basically what they should have been doing a year ago is planning, communicating with their current CPA and figuring out ways to minimize the tax burden and do things as most you know tax efficient as possible. So that's, I would say, the biggest mistake we see doctors, business owners make, simply failing the plan and not communicating.
0: Mm-hmm. As a fee-only financial planner, I can only agree wholeheartedly with this one is that, you know, the more time that you put in the prep and planning, the better the result, the higher likelihood of financial success and, you know, just the probability of success. So absolutely agree with that one. Is there maybe anything else or or any other, you know, tax mistakes, loads of them. Okay, let's go. Let's let's go with this.
2: The next one would be the wrong entity selection. So what happens is typically they're going to create an entity. Let's just say they're working for themselves or they start out in their own practice. And they go out and they find an attorney and they say, OK, I want to start my own practice. And they form an LLC or they form an S corporation. They'll say, OK, you could be a sole proprietor. No planning goes into that. And if they just have their accountant and their attorney have a very brief conversation, they could probably figure out the most tax efficient entity for them to be working in. Mm-hmm. And that alone can save significant dollars.
0: So if we're looking at different entities that they could set up, when would someone, let's say, want to just set up an LLC versus an S-corp? Maybe give some context to this so that the physicians listening maybe can go, oh, I probably need to really look into this.
2: And that's what every situation is a little bit different. But let's just say, you know, maybe somebody's starting out and they're building a practice, but they're also working maybe at a hospital and they're getting a W-2 someplace. Mm -hmm. That might be a good time where you should have an LLC. But at some point, you may stop working at the hospital and be generating all your own income. So at that point, you might want to be an S corporation. What you would do is if you did some planning, you'd say, okay, you talk to your accountant and you say, okay, we can make an election to tax our LLC as an S corporation. If you don't do any planning, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. So different stages of your career, different stages of what you're doing has impact of the different taxes you're going to pay and how you can minimize it. Because if you have a W-2 job someplace and you form a corporation and you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary, and it's almost like you're paying double FICA tax, and you'll get your half back, but the business half that you're paying, which you are actually paying because it comes out of your business, you will not get that money back. Mm -hmm. So it could be $7,500.
0: Yeah. A lot of money. Yeah. I mean, every little bit helps, right? Right. If you can kind of dig into that, because I know that most of the listeners here have pretty much a really high level knowledge on this. Can you maybe go into a little bit more on this double FICA and explain this just a little bit more in depth?
2: Sure. So every employer you work for, and you could be your own employer, has to withhold FICA tax. It's approximately $130,000 now is the social security level. And then Medicare keeps going after that. Mm-hmm. So if I work for one company and I make $100,000 in that company. They're going to withhold 7.65% of my money and they're also going to pay 7.65% of their money towards Social Security. At the same time, I have my own company and I'm earning $100,000 there. So I have 7.65% of my money that has to be paid to Social Security and the company has to pay 7.65% of that money. At the end of the year, when I do my tax return, I'm going to have excess Social Security paid in, like my half. So I'll get that excess money back. But the corporation side, which I happen to own, doesn't get their half back. Mm -hmm. So they've just wasted $7,500 or more by just not doing some planning. Maybe they should have been, from that perspective, an LLC would have made more sense.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And when we talk about LLCs, we're talking about PLLCs, depending on the state we're in professional corporations, professional limited liability companies. Every state has a little bit of a different take on it. But we're talking about professional, and it doesn't make a difference from a tax perspective, whether you're a professional LLC or you're a regular LLC. Yeah.
0: The government still
2: gets the same amount of money.
0: Good distinction and classification there. So it makes complete sense. Okay, so we've got two under our belt. we got loads more. What's something else that physicians typically make that is really costing them a good amount of money?
2: So one that we see, and it really does blow my mind, is... Depreciation. They don't depreciate their assets correctly,
3: Hmm.
2: especially if they're doing a build out and stuff like that. They're not taking advantage of depreciation the way they should be to get the biggest bank for the dollar. And a lot of times what happens is because there's no communication with their accountant throughout the year and they go see the guy now, which is, you know, all of a sudden if if I have 10 or 15 people come to me with all their stuff and I got to get it all done, next 15 days doesn't leave me a lot of time, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get it done, but I'm probably going to make a lot of mistakes. And that's what happens. They're looking to get the numbers in the boxes, but they're not looking to see, okay, what's the best depreciation route to go? Because they just want to get it done. So if they were working with that accountant throughout the year and communicating with that accountant throughout the year, they'd be able to go over these things.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's nothing like uh, waiting to the last minute to throw everything at your accountant thinking that you're the only client that they have.
2: And hopefully at that point, and I would say 99% of the accountants out there, they are putting the right numbers in the right boxes. So that's a good thing. But if they're overwhelmed this time of year, it's hard for them to do any kind of planning. Mm -hmm. So you want to catch them when it's not crazy. You want to be talking to them throughout the year.
0: Yeah, and actually just going to deviate here real quick. So maybe tell people that already have an accountant or maybe are looking for one, what is the best way to actually structure it with an accountant for planning? What would that look like if you had the ideal client in your circumstance? How would they interact with you?
2: So I'll tell you our ideal client and our client, this is the way, it's kind of our way or the highway. Our clients work with us throughout the year. Every month when we close their books, we send them a link or we make a phone call, we set up a a Zoom or a telephone call and we go through the P&L. Okay. And, The real reason we're doing that is so we can have that open line of communication so we know what's going on and they'll ask us questions or they'll talk about something they're thinking about doing and we'll make sure that they're going to do it in the most tax efficient manner. So Mm -hmm. that's the ideal client and that's the ideal way you want to work with your CPA on a regular basis so you get the best of what's available to you. And I also tell people, Don't look at your accounting. If you have the right accountant, you shouldn't be looking at it as an expense. You should be looking at it as an income item because if you're working with the right person and you're communicating with them, they're going to actually save you more than it's going to cost you.
0: Yeah, a great CPA will do that. And for those that don't necessarily maybe have their own practices that are listening here, but they have someone do or they're looking to have someone do their tax prep, What would be the most, let's say, ideal client in that circumstance where it's a smaller client, they just need some tax prep work? How do they communicate with their CPA in the most ideal manner that could really help benefit them the most when it comes time for tax prep?
2: Well, unfortunately, if they're just a W-2 person, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of planning. There is some planning, but there's not a whole lot of planning that they can do to limit that liability. They're getting that W-2, you know, the tax overhaul has really reduced the different things that people can write off. So there's not a whole lot. But, you know, touching base with your CPA or your accountant throughout the year isn't going to hurt you. That's where the old making sure that you have the right withholding is important because you don't want to be surprised at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. But from a tax savings and a planning perspective, there are some things, but there's very few things that can be done for that person that is strictly a W-2 employee.
0: Of course, and that makes sense, you know, but if they own their home or they're looking at buying a home, you know, how does that affect it? Or if they've had a kid, you know, hey, updating these things, you know, aren't necessarily the biggest planning issues, but will have tax consequences uh, or tax effects.
2: And and unfortunately, the government kind of did away with the dependency exemption. I know. So that one is going to hurt some people, but they did double the child tax credit. Mm Mm-hmm. So for those that are eligible for that, that'll be helpful.
0: And the standard deduction. Uh,
2: Yeah, they've raised that. So depending on whether you have a home, whether you're paying large state taxes or real estate taxes, you know, they're capped out. But it doesn't hurt to be able to communicate with that person. So if you're using like an HR block or something like that, it's probably going to be pretty tough to talk with them during the off season. But Mm -hmm. if you're using a CPA or an enrolled agent or somebody like that, it's open all year round, you should be able to touch base and see him when he's not crazed and have a conversation.
0: Yeah. And for those listening that are still in training, using someone like H&R Block or doing it even yourself when things are really simple, it's not the end of the world. It's not rocket science. It's not ideal and it's not fun. No offense, Craig. Taxes aren't always fun. But those things like you could save some money doing that. But once you become an attending and the real money starts to come in and now you're starting maybe to look at different investments or you're paid... 1099 and you're looking at, hey, how do I write this offer? What expenses can I do? A CPA is very important to have on your side. And I highly recommend reaching out to some of the CPAs uh, we've either had on the show or Craig himself. And I think that working with a CPA at that point really makes a lot of sense. Craig, I want to go and just keep kind of expanding on this. What are some of the other mistakes that you've seen commonly that physicians have made?
2: We've talked about planning, we've talked about entity selection, we've talked about depreciation. I don't know whether we will call them mistakes. Well, let's call them missed opportunities, because if you don't know about them, I don't know if we could call it a mistake. Perfect. So some of these are really only, in fact, affect those people that are self-employed. And that's okay. So we have the missing the home office deduction. Mm -hmm. If you have a space inside of your home that you use regularly and, and exclusively for your home office... And you have to spend about 15 hours a week there. But if you think about whether you're doing billing, you're sending emails, or whatever it is you're doing, 15 hours is actually not that long. That can be considered a principal place of business. And then that also makes your travel from your home office to any other office or hospital that you're working out fully deductible, which increases your mileage. That increases the amount of your auto expense you're able to take. So that's an item. There's something that may not really pertain too much to your listeners, but it's called a medical expense reimbursement plan. Mm -hmm. And that's a way to write off dollar for dollar all of your medical expenses. And maybe that pertains more to people, you know, at your age group in dental expenses versus medical care. Mm -hmm. If you don't have dental insurance or not best dental insurance, you could write off your dental. We see with people maybe a little bit older where they're going for implants and stuff like that, and they're spending a lot of money there. We show them how to make that 100% deductible.
3: Okay.
0: So one of the things I want to go back on really quick here is you're talking about auto expenses from your home to a hospital. What are some of the ways that they can write that? Is that just through straight mileage? Do they keep gas receipts? Like what are kind of the optimal ways to look at basically just isolating mileage?
2: So if you do the mileage rate, the government says, if I have a a Volkswagen Passat and I get that this year and I use the mileage rate, I always have to use the mileage rate for that vehicle until I dispose of the vehicle. So you can't switch year to year if you're not switching the vehicle. So the mileage rate is about 55 cents a mile, and it ends there. If you do the actual expenses, you get to depreciate your vehicle, write off your lease, pay your gas expense, your repairs. I would say the typical person does not use their vehicle 100% for business, mm-hmm. somewhere probably between 50 and 80% for business. So you get to write off that 50 and 80% portion versus 100%. Then... If you have an SUV, you know, it could be a bigger deduction. There's a lot of different things that go there. But by having the home office and using that regularly, it allows you then to have a vehicle expense because unless you're doing house calls, technically, if you have an office and you're seeing patients there, where are you driving? You're not really driving anywhere.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you actually have uh, to have the home deduction basically to trigger this kind of auto expense. And something I've been asked quite a few times And I'm curious to have your take on this, is leasing a car. I've heard various sides and arguments on this, that if you are basically self-employed, that it's better to lease a car rather than own the car. And I've heard the argument the other way.
2: From a tax deduction point of view, typically, yes, unless you're talking about a large SUV, because then you're basically writing off a high percentage of that lease. And then the IRS has an inclusion table that you have to go back and add back to your income. And the number is such a nominal number. It's like, why do you even have to go through this process? Because it means absolutely nothing. So typically, people will get a higher deduction when they're leasing a vehicle versus purchasing it and depreciating it over time.
0: Yeah. And I love it because from a planning perspective, like leasing, you're, it's like renting a house. Like You're kind of just throwing money out the drain and right. you have no asset to show for it. Granted, cars are depreciating assets, but... You know, it gets into this all big technique of planners think one thing, tax guys think another, and then it's like, who ends up being right? Well, it depends.
2: <laughs> I'm always very against what I hear. Well, my accountant told me I had to go out and spend $100,000 at the end of the year on, you know, a truck or equipment and stuff like that, that I didn't necessarily really need. Mm. I wanted, but I didn't really need them. So you saved $40,000 in taxes, but he got rid of a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, whereas maybe it would have been better paying the forty grand in taxes and putting the sixty grand in your pocket.
0: Yeah, the manufacturer's you know, spending have- like work. never works.
2: <laughs> right. It's I would not suggest that. It doesn't make a lot of sense. If you need equipment, then it's an important to plan. Of course, towards the end of the year, it does make sense to purchase that equipment if you need it. If you're going to buy it in January, you might as well buy it in December.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, that makes total sense. If you're going to spend it on your business for whatever it might be. It makes sense to have some actual tax planning to do that when it's the given year and you can save some taxes. But just like credit card rewards, if you have to manufacture spending to get that reward, you end up losing. I mean, you're spending a (laughs) dollar to get two cents back. Granted, taxes a little bit more than two cents like credit card rewards. But I'm just trying to put it in a good analogy. Like It's better to not spend the money.
2: Keeping more of what you make. Exactly.
0: I appreciate you making that distinction. That's something that I think is quite important. And I probably would not have made that distinction here. So thank you for saying that. Are there any other proactive tax planning strategies that doctors can do?
2: Yes. How about a retirement plan?
0: Hey, all right. Now we're talking my world.
2: You know, how about hiring your wife or your husband? If one of them is at home taking care of the kids, how about hiring them, making sure they're doing something. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're legitimate. But you hire them, and then they also have a deduction. Mm-hmm. So you're able to put away twice as much money.
0: So can we kind of just talk on the structure of maybe a random example of how that could look or how that could work for someone?
2: Okay, so I'm a practice owner, and I'm, we have a 401k, and you know, staff contributes. In a perfect world, everybody maxes out their $18,000 contribution. Mm-hmm. I still have some cash left over. What about if I hired my wife, and she had child description, and she actually did work for the business, mm-hmm. which she probably did. Or, or your husband, you know. I don't want to be too sexist back here. And now she got paid a salary of maybe twenty-one thousand dollars a year, and from that twenty-one thousand dollars, she paid a FICA, and then the rest went to her four hundred one k plan. So she winds up with a W two for about two or three thousand dollars worth of taxable earnings. You just took eighteen thousand dollars out of your taxable income, and you put another eighteen grand away
0: mm-hmm what about uh if a physician let's say has part w two and part ten ninety nine like they're working at a hospital you know a b c hospital, but they moonlight or do other work they're let's say a corner or something like that, and they get ten ninety nine income can they set up an uh, an entity uh, we don't have to discuss what kind but set up an entity and hire their spouse to let's say schedule their time and to do their accounting and you know, to kind of manage their expenses and things like that, and still be able to kind of contribute to this if they set up, let's say, a solo 401k inside there? Or, you know, is there strategies around where it's, it's not necessarily you own a business with employees?
2: Oh, most definitely. What you just said, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And you know what it comes down to? That person that did that did some planning.
0: Exactly. And I love bringing it back to the thing, because I think overall, the one mistake that people do is they don't plan. I love how you brought it up as the first thing too. It made me happy as a planner to know that uh, (laughs) there's other people out there that say, yes, planning makes sense because with all these things and you have more time to look at it and actually plan, you know, the more potential savings that you're going to have or the higher probability of success for whatever that might be, whether it's achieving your dreams or lowering your taxes or financial independence, like whatever it is, the more you plan, the higher likelihood of success. So correct. Are there any other proactive kind of tax planning strategies that they might be able to do?
2: Here's another basic one. How about hiring your family or hiring your kids? Okay. How would that look? So say you have an office and your kids come in on Saturdays and maybe they're 11, 12 years old and um, maybe they do filing. I mean, now things are so much not paper, but maybe they do cleaning Maybe they do licking envelopes. Maybe they're doing something, okay? Mm -hmm. As long as you pay them a reasonable wage and you actually pay them so it goes into their bank account, you could actually make what I call – my first book was um, an Amazon bestseller. I co-authored. It was Sequence of Tax-Free Life. And I wrote a chapter called How to Make Your Kids' Cleats Tax-Deductible. And the idea there was pay a kid a salary, put it into his bank account, and then when it's time to pay for summer camp or hockey camp or whatever it is – the money comes out of his bank account, and you've actually just made that cost tax deductible to your business. Now, you have to document everything,
3: mm-hmm. right?
2: Tax court actually ruled that you can hire your kids as young as seven years old. I like to wait till they're about 11, but the tax court has actually ruled seven is old enough to be employed.
0: To so actually do like physical work is what you're saying, correct? Correct.
2: Correct. Okay. We've had clients where they use them for photos and stuff like that, but I don't think you get enough financial movement there to make it worthwhile. Whereas if, if they come in every Saturday or it's two days a week during the summer or whatever it is, you can build up enough money there where you get five or $6,000 for the year. And then it makes sense.
0: Yeah. The financial planner in me is looking at it for my kids and not to tangent too far on this, but I look at, can I take pictures and put kids on my website or you know on Instagram or Facebook? And can I pay them basically for being models? And, you know, is there enough money that I could pay them that not necessarily for the tax deduction for me, but then that they could contribute to like a Roth IRA at age three and imagine the compounding on, you know, 5,500 a year for 62 years or something crazy.
2: We have a lot of clients that that's exactly what they do. Okay. They do that and they put it into a Roth because the income level is low enough that they're not paying any taxes. Of course. And then they put it into a Roth. So then by the time the kid's 20... It's got all this money. Yeah, And if you do it right and you have different entities, you can even work it out depending on the type of entity you have where you don't actually have to pay the FICA tax on it either.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. I see where you're going with that. Uh, sorry to be a little selfish here, but from a modeling perspective with the kids, how young could they be? Is it really seven or can I go younger if they're not doing like I, I physical think labor? From,
2: from a modeling perspective, it could be as young as you want it to be. Okay. You know, the thing is, it's going to be pretty hard to justify – a large amount of money.
0: Yeah, I can't be like, oh here's forty grand for taking five pictures. No. Like no, but I could say, hey, here's, yes. you know, a couple hundred bucks per picture and I've used them, you know, throughout
2: that would probably be pretty aggressive if you did that every week.
0: Yeah. Of course. It's not like they can end up even earning fifty five hundred from that, but I don't know, maybe if there's a lot of content, maybe I don't know. But so kinda to get back on track here, we've talked about a lot of different mistakes that physicians could make. We've I think given them quite a few proactive tax planning strategies that they can make. Is there anything else uh, before we wrap up here that you would like to kind of say with um, in terms of, you know, doing a lot of prep work and planning for physicians that could really help them out uh, as they start to look at taxes over the next few weeks?
2: Yeah, I think what they should do is 2017 is kind of coming gone other than you can still make your SEP contribution if you're self-employed. And the problem with a SEP is you have to put in for your employees and stuff like that. So depending on how your structure is set up, you may be able to do a SEP contribution and it could work out for you. Mm -hmm. But I think focus on 2018, focus on communicating with your accountant. And what's really important is planning is not talking to your accountant in December and him telling you, okay, you need to make a $15,000 payment by January fifteenth. That's not planning. And that's what a lot of people think is planning. Mm -hmm. That's not planning. So don't get caught in that trap.
0: That's great advice. Yeah. No one likes last minute work. It doesn't give the CPA or your financial planner or anything enough time to really sit down and assess the correct situation and then give you basically the best advice possible. Yeah. Great tips there. So Craig, before we wrap this up, let them know how they can find you. And we're going to bring Craig into the financial residency group and Mm -hmm. allow him to kind of answer some tax questions that you may or may not have as we approach the end of the tax season here. So, Craig, yeah, let them know how they can find you and ask you questions.
2: Sure. I have a book, The 10 Most Expensive Tax Mistakes That Cost Business Owners Thousands. So I'm going to offer that to anyone that wants it for free. You can go to our website, CraigCodyAndCompany.com forward slash financial residency. There's a landing page there. You can pop your information in and Adina, my assistant, will send that out to you. I'll provide Ryan a link for his website, so it'll be there. You could reach us at 516 869 4051, or I'll be monitoring and you know, looking at the Facebook group. Any question? if you, know, you have a question? Just ask it.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you so much for offering a free book. That's extremely kind for you guys to do that. So, uh, like you'd said, go to Craig Cody and Company slash financial residency and receive the book. And again, he'll be in the financial residency uh, Facebook group answering questions and please ask questions, join the group. There's hundreds and hundreds of physicians and physician spouses in the group. We all would love to help you out. So any question, there's no such thing as a dumb one. Just ask it. Craig, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's
0: always hard to kind of think of a tax show and want to talk about taxes and also make it fun and lighthearted. But I, Craig, you did a great job. Thank you so much for being on the show. I hope you guys took a lot out of this show. You know, the, the top three mistakes that he sees making, I, I think are spot on. You know, planning is so important. And it's not just in taxes, like just planning your finances and, and what you really want out of life. You know, if you don't have the target and you haven't written down goals, like how do you know if you're achieving them? How do you know if you're down the right path? So with that said, go to Facebook, join the financial residency community there and uh, come in and ask Craig and I any questions you guys might have concerning taxes or, or really anything else that will help you get your finances on track. Start planning today, take control of your finances, and we can achieve great things together as a community. So I had a great time this last month basically participating in all the student loan debt movement. There was a lot of great content created out of there. Tons of great feedback from all of you. I appreciate the questions and getting everything together. Next month, coming up here in April, uh, we are going to be talking all about insurance, term, disability, answering your guys' questions. And the next two episodes, I am really excited about. Larry Keller from Physician Financial Services is jumping on the show and we're going to be talking kind of a high level on insurance and then answering a ton of your questions in an entire show, all dedicated to basically answering your questions related to insurance. So excited to start this month off right, looking at some tax planning stuff, but we're going to kick it into high gear, talking about insurance coming up. Enjoy the rest of your week.
1: Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode is ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com, where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's financialresidency.com.